Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our readers and listeners of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. We are joined today with Haya Don, CEO, co-founder, and director of Osino Resources, a Canadian-listed gold explorer focused in Namibia, West Africa. Osina is listed on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the symbol OSI and on the U.S. OTC markets under the symbol OSIIF. Haya, thank you for coming on. Thank you very much, Andrew. Pleasure to be here. So, Haya, most of our listeners probably haven't heard of you before. Uh, tell us your background and then give us a bit about your past uh, failures and successes in the business. Great. Thanks, Andrew. And uh, let me say thank you very much for the opportunity to be here and to, to talk to your listeners. So you might hear in my accent that um, I'm a bit of a blend. So I'm, I'm of German descent. My parents uh, immigrated to Namibia in the early 1960s. They are cattle ranchers. I was, I was born on a ranch in Namibia and I grew up here. And um, I became a mining engineer and a mining entrepreneur in this country. Um, and uh, yeah, so I've lived here all my life. I've spent um, about 20 years in the mining industry, 10 of that in operations and technical and, and the other 10 more on the financial side. And my first success as an entrepreneur really happened in Namibia also. Um, uh, it, it was a deal where we bought a, an exploration project called Ochikoja, which was very unknown at the time in 2010, it's about eight years ago. And we raised money on the TSX. We listed a company called Oryx Gold, uh, and we advanced that project until we ultimately sold it to B2Gold in 2012, and they built a very successful gold mine. So this was great because it was in my home ground. Uh, I made some money, but more importantly, it, it gave me a bit of track record, and it enabled me to, to do other deals afterwards. So. I've done a few in between, um, and the, another notable one, I guess, that also relates to Ocino is a company called, now called Lumina Gold, it used to be called Ecuador Gold and Copper, which was also a gold development asset in Ecuador, which I managed as a CEO, I wasn't the founder, I was brought in as a, as a uh, turnaround uh, CEO, I guess, and so we breathed some fresh life into that company, we settled some debts and solved a lot of problems that they had and ended up selling that company to uh, one of Ross Beatty's companies. And that's really how Ross Beatty um, got to know me and became involved in Osina. Well, no, I appreciate the, uh, the information and the background. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the, uh, the other companies here in just a moment, but I want to just take a step back and look at kind of the broad natural resource market uh, and, and also, you know, on gold. Uh, so, so tell me your thoughts on what's going on with gold and why do you continue to focus on gold? What do you like about it at this point? And where do you see gold going in you know, 2019, 2020? Okay, well, at the outset, let me say, I'm, I'm a mining engineer, not an economist. So, you know, uh, sort of uh, trying to forecast gold prices and, and talking about economic macro picture, et cetera, uh, isn't really my speciality because, um, I mean, I've been, I've been in the business a long time and I have opinions and I'm happy to voice these. Um, but I'm not an expert. So my approach tends to be that I focus on what my core competency is, which really is execution and getting things done, 
and and the markets I I have to accept. Um, I mean, I do like gold because for a couple of reasons. Firstly, I have um, quite a lot of personal experience building and operating gold mines, so so I have a strong familiarity with uh, what what can be successful in gold mining. Um, I also like gold because it is a commodity or a metal which is you know probably one of the most amenable commodities to public market financing because a large or, or, or a critical part of my business model is to use um, mostly North American capital ultimately um, in public companies so and and gold and copper is, is suitable for that so so that's why I like gold in terms of my views on the macro picture I'm bullish very bullish lately um, especially I, I think the key metric to watch is the the US dollar um, as, as we know gold has always been seen as a hedge to hedge and I think uh, you know the last few years we've we, we've had a strong dollar we we've had a strong US economy and uh, it seems to me that that that's changing so I think I'm not the only one that that, that believes that the the trend for 2019 and beyond um, is positive and I think the the risk in the gold market is very firmly to the upside so I think we are well positioned for that but I should also say that in in exploration we are not that uh, dependent on the gold price per se but we are very dependent on sentiment and um, and that sentiment in the gold market seems to be returning at the moment which is obviously very positive for us yes I, I agree I, I think that we're at more or less uh, compared to you know maybe late 2015 early 2016 we're at a kind of a sentiment low uh, and we have, you know, these new, you know, events that are kind of taking place with, you know, the Barrick Rand Gold getting together and, and now Newmont Gold Corp. And there's some rumors and whispers about other uh, mid-tiers and majors possibly getting together. So it's uh, it's an exciting time. And there are certainly some events that are starting to change the tune. Uh, let's let's put it that way. So are there, besides gold and copper, are there any other metals uh, that you like right now, Haya? You know, I, uh, I I tend to stick to my knitting, so I I usually do only one deal at a time. So right now I'm heavily focused on gold. I am involved in coal. Um, I have a, a, a coal project together with some partners in South Africa, and even though coal seems to be somewhat out of favour in terms of uh, you know the whole green movement and so forth, it's still an essential commodity in the in the, in the uh, energy mix. So I think there's potential there. Um, you know, Namibia is 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 a big host to lithium and battery metals. Even though, again, I'm not an expert in that, but um, some of our licenses in Namibia, some of our gold licenses, have some associated um, industrial minerals in the form of lithium on them. So I do like that. Um, again, because it seems to be uh, financeable and there's there's investor appetite for it. But other than that, um, I rely on my my sort of technical expertise 10 years in the gold market um, or 10 years building and operating gold mines. So I, I tend to stick to gold, although again, Namibian relevance is uranium. You know, Namibia is, is a very large producer of uranium. Um, it used to be about 10% of, of Western world production. And um, it seems to be that uranium is also back in an, in an uptick. So that could be interesting. And some of my colleagues here in Namibia are quite active in, in, in trying to put some uh, uranium opportunities together. 
Right. Yeah. And as you might know, uh, we uh, we've done a, a lot of work on uranium since uh, late uh, mid mid to late 2016. So we uh, <clears throat> are, are certainly out there a lot in the in the space with uh, being being known for uranium uh, research and so forth. So it's it is an interesting uh, point in time on that side. So I want to I want to get to Rx in a minute, and of course introduce uh, Osino. But can you go back to Ecuador Gold and Copper for a moment? Tell us, tell us how it started and, and walk us through, if you can, give us kind of paint a picture for us of going through the deal with uh, getting together Odin uh, and, and uh, you know, Ecuador Gold and Copper to form Lumina. Yeah, so what happened there is um, Ecuador Gold and Copper has a long history. It was started by, I believe it was started by Ike Batista. I don't know if that name still rings a bell. Um, he had a company yes. called TVX Metals way back. And they were one of the first explorers in Ecuador. I think, you know, I, I may be wrong on the, on the exact date now, but it was in the 80s or 90s, could have been in the early 90s. Um, when they first found gold in Ecuador, they, they spent a lot of money there, did a lot of, did a lot of drilling. But ultimately, in, in, one of, in, in a prior gold downturn, they ran out of road and uh, the project changed hands a couple of times until it eventually it ended up in a Canadian shell, which, which became public as Ecuador Gold and Copper. Um, this, now, I've come, in these last two sentences, I've compressed about maybe 10 or 15 years of history. So Ecuador Gold and Copper, in about 2014, when it, when it went public initially, um, didn't get its timing right very well. So they couldn't raise money. They had a lot of issues. Um, there were some management issues, some shareholder issues, and basically, even though it had a great geological endowment and it had some very, very strong Ecuadorian shareholders, um, it nevertheless became a, a bit of a, a sort of beaten up shell. So some of these good Ecuadorian shareholders were also shareholders in my company, Oryx Gold. And so they contacted me at that time, this is now 2015, and they were looking for a solution. They were looking for somebody that could um, settle the legacy issues uh, breathe some fresh life back into this company. When, by that I mean some exploration, um, get a new plan going, and then try to find a find a buyer. So I agreed to this. It was it was a risky strategy because, um, of course, you know you don't want to be associated with a with a company that goes bust. So I agreed to join this company for the two reasons I mentioned. One was that the geological endowment was excellent. It had eight million ounces in a large porphyry uh, project called Santa Barbara. It was low grade, but nevertheless, a lot of gold there in, in, in a very attractive uh, area, uh, geological area that, that is. Um, and it had these Ecuadorian and Argentinian, very wealthy and successful entrepreneurs who were shareholders in Ecuador Gold and Copper, and, and, and they assured me that they would not allow this company to hit the wall. So on that basis, I got involved. And my brief was very simple, settle the issues, settle the debt, uh, you know, get it going, um, and then try to find a buyer. So, so that's what I did. So I spent the first year, year and a half um, sorting out the issues, cleaning it up, cleaning up the share, share structure. Um, we did a rollback, we raised a bit of money, convertibles and so forth, and um, got some exploration going, and got rid of some of the sort of dead weight of the past. And um, then at some point through uh, introductions and so forth, I got exposed to the Ross Beatty group, 
Um, and I met Ross himself personally and his guys. And it was uh, quite a, an important moment for me because I was very lucky to, to get on well with Ross. I think Ross took a liking to me personally because he saw, I would like to think, I can't speak on behalf of him, but I would like to think what he saw in me was my sort of integrity, honesty, what you see is what you get, sort of reliability, and also my uh, ability to get things done. So Ross took a liking to me, and I mean, there was another interesting uh, little tidbit in that Ross actually did his, his very first um, vacation job as a geology student in the mid-70s. He did that in Namibia. So he, he had been partial to Namibia because he had some very uh, good times in those days uh, being here as a geology student or, or young geologist. And me being a, a Namibian citizen, I think that resonated with him. So that helped a lot. That chemistry helped tremendously um, because, I mean, Ross took comfort out of me um, and it made the due diligence and so forth for them easier because Equator Gold and Copper was a company that had a lot of issues. So that was good. I guess I, I, I just did my job, built, built trust, and ultimately we ended up doing the deal. Um, it was a very complicated deal, but it got done and it resulted in the formation of Luminar Gold. Uh, I mean, subsequent to that, they've spun off some of the assets. Uh, I'm still on the board of Luminar Gold and, and you know, the relationship with Ross has been critical to me because he is a, a very important part in, in the success of Rosino. I can say without a doubt that Rosino would not have happened without Ross's involvement. Well, what, yeah, what a fascinating story. And uh, just, you know, being able to, to hook up with Ross uh, in that situation and, and go through and, and get a really a premier company set up there um, with, with everything that happened, a great, great chain of events and uh, a, a good situation. And, and the uh, story uh, there, of course, is continuing. So take us, take us over to uh, your new venture, Osino Resources. Uh, give us just a brief overview about the company, and then I want to get into some details. Okay, so Asuna Resources is a gold exploration company in Namibia. We had success here, as I said in the past, and with that success and the um, the, the, the building of the Archicotto Gold Mine, which became a cash cow for Peter Gold, um, it it gave us a lot of conviction in Namibia as being able to host um, significant gold deposits because Namibia is an emerging sort of gold uh, uh, district, I guess. And so Osino was created initially to consolidate grant, put a package with scale together, position the right shareholders like Ross and some others because of course exploration costs money, um, and then to execute and do explore, exploration and find another deposit. So that, that really is what Osino is all about. So, so Namibia, you're you're uh, an expert, being from the country and being a native of of the country, being born there. So, of all the jurisdictions, why did you come back to Namibia? And can you please warm the audience up as to why Namibia remains to be arguably the best jurisdiction in Africa? Absolutely, and you know what I tend to say is Namibia, um, for a North American observer who hasn't been there should think of it as Western Australia or as Texas. It really is um, kind of the Switzerland of Africa in terms of um, you know, the, the quality of the jurisdiction, the, the reliability of the government, the fiscal regime, et cetera. It's a very organized country. It's very sparsely populated. It has an excellent, um, obviously it's a democ democracy. It's got um, 
uh, it's, it's got a diversified economy to some extent. Um, it has got enforcement of contracts. It, it regularly gets gets rated by the Fraser Institute and others in the top um, bracket in Africa, together with Botswana, I would say. So for me, um, having grown up here, it's of course uncomfortable in this country. But even for for an outsider, for an independent person, Namibia is is great because it's got very good a very good um, uh, infrastructure. It has an excellent uh, cadastral system for exploration companies. So, for example, the whole um, system for issuing and maintaining licenses is very transparent and very easy to work with. It's got very low holding costs. So, for example, in Osino's case, we have a we have a very substantial, very large portfolio. I think we, uh, I've got to work it out exactly, but we're onto close to 8,000 square kilometers of licenses. And the holding costs are very, very low in contrast to, say, Ecuador, uh, which, which, which I operated in recently. So, yeah, so therefore, you know, it's a country that's easy to get to. It's easy to get around in. It's safe. It's reliable. Um, you know, the rules don't change. Um, the rule book is well understood. So, plus geologically, it it, it has a, a very significant endowment. It's a it's it's very prospective. Um, it's produced some of the best uranium mines in the world. It's produced copper mines. It's it's it, it's got two excellent uh, gold projects. One you know one may even be able to call them world class, even though they're not that large. The one is six million ounces. The other one is about three million ounces. But they are, they have been very profitable. So I would say that's that's a summary. Would you would you say that the the German roots of Namibia are kind of the core for why the country has been so successful? And and with that question also, do you, do you see the mining industry there, Haya, as kind of the kind of the core economic uh, engine? Yeah, you know, of course, being a German in Namibia, it's 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 always slightly political. So I've got to be care, a little bit careful what I say. But but you are right. The German colonial influence has been very important and continues to be important. I mean, one of the things, for example, that Namibia has, which a lot of other countries in Africa don't have, is um, it's got a system of, uh, you know, uh, of title. So basically the entire country is being parceled up and, and, and is in private, you're dealing with private landholders. So most, most other African countries, the land is owned by communities or, or by the state, whereas in Namibia, most of the land is, is owned by private individuals. So, so when negotiating access or so, that just makes it a lot easier um, for companies like ours. So it's got, Namibia has got an excellent service industry. So I mean, just imagine if, if, if you're a tourist or an investor from, from the US, let's say you fly into Vintuk, you go to the local Avis shop, you, you drive on a, on a perfect bitumen tarred road into the capital city where you find wonderful German bakeries and butcheries and restaurants and tree-lined streets. So, it's like that. Um, no, you covered it quite well. I, I think that uh, it puts a perspective of, you know, what this country is like. And uh, it's very, very, very much more advanced and modern than people from, say, Canada or United States would, would suspect. And uh, I think it's important to get that perspective out to folks that this, this jurisdiction uh, probably at this point really is number one in Africa. Um, so it's just I think I think you hit it really well, and obviously the economics with the mining industry there is quite important to the country. Judging by, you know, its uranium exports, the amount of you know uranium production there, the copper and gold uh, projects that are in, in progress there. So I think you, you did a nice job of uh, kind of painting a picture for us. 
So, so tell us about the Ocino team, uh, the compensation of management, the share structure, uh, cash on hand, and how much capital do you think will be consumed in 2019 on, on new uh, uh, you know, exploration programs? Okay, so um, firstly, yeah, you asked me about team, capital, share structure, and, and exploration. So firstly, in terms of team, I'm, I'm the founder and CEO. Um, it's, it's our way of this company um, and its projects. I'm, I'm based in Cape Town, between Cape Town and here. I'm the doer, the getting things done guy. My co-founding partner is a chap by the name of Alan Friedman. He's a Canadian of South African descent that's done a lot of business in Namibia and oil and gas and, and also in money. He, he, he did Oryx Gold with me and sold the company together with me to Peter Gold. So he's based in Toronto, which is very important for me because he's my link to the capital markets. So he's an integral part of our team. And then, of course, for an exploration company, it's the geologist that counts. So we have two very experienced geologists. One, one of them is XPHP. He's the country manager. And then we have Dave Underwood. Um, he is an ex-Anglo guy. He used to be a, a deal scout also for Newmont in West Africa. So he has a lot of uh, gold experience specifically. So those two guys, um, well, John, the, the country manager, is based in Lituk. Dave comes, flies in and out. But they built a team of about 35 people in Namibia. So we've got about seven or eight geologists, and the rest are field-based um, people that help us with, you know, that do the drilling, carry up. Well, we use contractors for drilling, but we it's we do not only drilling. We also do a lot of regional exploration on a very large scale, like uh, soil sampling, calcrete sampling, etc. So that's that's what the guys do in the field. Um, in terms of cash and capital structure, so we. Uh, we have around about 60 million shares issued. We trade currently at around 30 cents. So it's a market cap of, of about 15 million Canadian dollars, just over. Um, and we have, at the end of last year, we had around about $4 million cash in the bank. So, so give, give us an EV of about 11 million Canadian. Um, we're going to spend probably around 60% of that this year. But um, we, we have been very active last year, both in terms of uh, regional exploration, but also drilling. Uh, we're waiting for some results. And the plan is to um, kind of take a breather now, uh, integrate the data, analyze the data, interpret the data. As you know, exploration is very much an iterative process. You, you do work, you take a break, you evaluate what you've done, and then you go back in. And, and we follow that same process. We, we are, I'm proud to say, we are a real explorer. Uh, we're not just um, kind of, uh, you know, dusting off some old projects and then promoting them, but we're doing, we're doing very solid, systematic exploration and we are very active. And so the plan for 2000, 2019 is to finance. We will, even though we don't need to do a financing right now, um, we want to do one because before kicking off a major drilling program, uh, we want to be sure that we are you know, in a financially good position. So we we just in discussion with with with, with some brokers, etc., um, about how how best to do this. We are fortunate that we have a very strong group of shareholders. There's Ross Beattie, who he owns just under twenty percent. Um, most of his team are shareholders. You know, the geologists and his finance guys, etc. His whole kind of family are shareholders. Then there's resource capital funds out of Denver who own just under ten percent. Um, so you know, very supportive and, and, and a good name to have on, on the register. And then two other notable names. One is Patrick Hopper, who, you know, 
quite a lot of your listeners may know. He's he's a Toronto, very successful Toronto uh, public markets entrepreneur. Um, he made a lot of money with us on our previous deal, Oryx Gold, and he, he just kind of supports Alan and I in the deals that we do usually. And then there are some other shareholders that came with Ross Beatty. Um, you know, some of some of his um, supporters in some of his other deals came came in with us as well. But you know, we are always conscious of of having a nicely diversified shareholder base, and that's why we are always on the lookout for for new investors. And and hopefully, with a with an improving gold market that we discussed earlier, um, maybe we will see some some of the gold funds might be getting some inflows again, uh, which you know maybe they'll start deploying also back into the juniors again. So that's kind of the, the plan. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, give us give us your approach to compensation of management. I mean, you guys are an explorer. Uh, is your view, uh, is it your belief that, that compensation uh, kind of gets ramped up as the company progresses uh, over time and develops an asset versus uh, are you of the opinion that, that, you know, using money for exploration work is, is much more important than, say, you know, some of these executives that are overpaid in the industry uh, that uh, – tend to mine the shareholders over actually doing the work on the ground? Absolutely. Don't get me started on this topic. You know, I think executive pay, <laughs> and, pay and, and pay in the mining industry and in the exploration industry, I think it is just ridiculous what has happened in the last five or ten years. I think, I think generally speaking, I, 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 you know, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sticking my neck, my neck out here. I think a lot of your viewers may... May, may sort of take issue with what I'm about to say, but I, I genuinely believe that um, you know pay in our industry has is too high. It's 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 you know people are getting paid way too much, especially in exploration companies. So we've taken that on board, and in Osino we're actually very conservative. Um, we would like to well, not would like to think we are definitely conservative, and we are we are we want to be dependable, and we want to. Um, not be egregious in what we do, and that um, goes for our compensation policy as well. So we actually, we definitely pay below market. We, um, the top team, which includes myself, um, is, is significantly underpaid by Canadian or even Southern African standards, but we have shares. And in my case, uh, and in Alan Friedman's shares, we actually subscribe for shares in every financing that we have done so far. So we've between myself and my family, um, I have around about, about just over a million dollars worth of um, subscriptions that have gone into the company. So we've, we've put real money on the line. Some of our top geos, actually my two senior geos, have done the same in the form of paying uh, or working for sweat equity initially and taking shares as payment. And in fact, right now, I mean, the gold market is getting better, but it's not good yet. And so... We're just going through a sort of cost-cutting exercise where we're just looking at all our uh, non-essential costs, including salaries. I'm not saying salaries are non-essential, but I'm saying that um, we're making up to our team. We don't want to do people in. So geologists need to be paid fairly, but for a company that doesn't produce cash, that does exploration, we need, we need the cash to go into the ground. So our geos are very motivated. They're very committed to this company, and they've actually agreed to uh, take some of their pay and, and shares. We've, we've got a standard share option package, um, which we, we've issued, I think it's about 80% or so issued, um, at, at very reasonable share prices. In fact, the share options are out of the money at the moment. So, um, I mean, you, you, your, your listeners can do their own research, but I can assure you that 
Um, in Osino, everything stacks, stacks up, and we are very conservative in this approach. Well, I agree in full with uh, your comments. Uh, I, I think that the industry is overpaid a lot, and there are, uh, you know, folks folks tend there's there's a lot out there that that tend to instead of mining, you know, producing and building a mine project, they decide to just mine shareholders instead. And uh, so it's I really appreciate your comments and your and your position on it because I agree 100 percent. Take us back to RX Gold. Uh, who was instrumental in, in the team getting that deal done with B2 Gold? And what similarities existed with RX early on that now exist with, uh, potentially exist with Ocino? Yeah, thanks. That's a, that's a great heat for me. So if, let me deal with the RX Gold team first and then, and then how does some of that apply to Ocino? So basically, Oryx Gold was formed by four people. It was a chap by the name of Bongani TC. He's a South African mining entrepreneur. Uh, Tim Searcy, Canadian. Uh, he was the CEO. Bongani was the chairman. Alan Friedman, my partner, and I. I was the president. So basically, Tim Searcy and I were co-managing that company. Um, again, I was based out of Cape Town, same as now, as I'm doing now with Osino. I was the, the sort of the doer, the, the crossing the, the T dotting the ice guy, getting stuff done in Namibia, and Tim was based in Toronto, mainly um, doing the capital market side of things. So that worked very well for us. We, as, the, as those four founders of the Oryx team, we were very fortunate that we got on well and that we had complementary strengths. So we, have, we had a very constructive team effort in building that company. We also had a great board. We had three, um, we had Dave Hodgson there. He, he's the ex-COO of Anglegold Ashanti. He's a real senior statesman of gold mining. There was George Peary, he's a, a well-known hand ex-Placidome, and then there was uh, Tony Harwood, who's a very well-known uh, exploration geologist. So those three guys were the non-execs, and they gave us as the executives a lot of support. I think we were very fortunate. Uh, I mean, it wasn't wasn't pure chance. We, we crafted it intentionally, um, this, this very kind of constructive uh, board. So that was essential. When we met with B2 Gold, I mean, to be honest, we it was we were approached. It wasn't quite our credit. I think we were approached, and we were approached on the strengths or the merits of the projects. And I mean, that's that's what we built. So I'm I'm good with that. And uh, and again, we were somewhat lucky. There's a, a lot of luck involved because um, you know Clive Johnson turns out to be a great guy. I mean, firstly, he shared a lot of our values. He shares our values in terms of um, entrepreneurship. Uh, but also in terms of giving back to the country. So me, sorry, I'm digressing a little bit, but me being a Namibian citizen, it's very important for me that this Ochikoto project, which in those days was was a, a blank canvas and, and Beach Gold had the opportunity to build a great mine or to flunk it. And they built a great mine. And, and, and a lot of that was due to Clive Johnson's personal uh, approach. And so, uh, you know, from that perspective, it, when, when B2 approached us, we, of course, we would have liked to have seen some friction in that deal and maybe get a competing bid and, 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 and get the share price up, et cetera. But that didn't happen. And in the end, it's okay because it was a fair deal that happened. It wasn't egregious in any way. We paid $180 million for, for a company that is now worth a billion dollars. Uh, in my view, it produces $150 million free cash a year. So it's, it's, it's turned into a fantastic asset for Beach Gold. But that's okay. Um, because it was good for us, for our track record, it, it was good for Namibia, it was good for our shareholders. So I really consider that, that Oryx Gold deal that happened at that time, that was uh, the model of how the mining venture capital, um, how it should work. So 
the second part of your question, you asked me to relate that back to Asina and what and how much of that uh, can we transport into Asina to make sure that Asina turns into a similar success. Well, firstly, you know, building that team um, and building that constructive uh, board of directors, um, we've done the same thing. So we, 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 we've so far brought Dave Hodgson along. He, he has a lot of credibility for investors. And, you know, Alan and I, we're relatively young guys. I mean, so like to think of myself a young guy, I'm 46. But, um, you know, we need gray hairs and we need people that, 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 that kind of uh, uh, keep us in check too. So that, that's Dave's role. Um, I think we can definitely strengthen our board further. And as, as the company progresses, you know, we've only been public for just over six months. So as we progress, we'll add some additional skills to the board. Um, but very importantly, and this is another key uh, learning out of the Oryx Gold experience that we are applying in Osino, is that in exploration, you have to be well capitalized. Because yes, there's a lot of luck involved in, 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 in finding a great deposit. But more than luck, there is boreholes. You know, the more you drill, the more you find. And in order to do that, you need capital. So in, in, in Oryx Gold, when we when we bought that Ochicota project, it was it was seen to be marginal, nothing special, uh, would never become a mine. And through focused use of Canadian capital and a lot of drilling, we turned what what was marginal into a into what we choose saw as a great project and which they proved to be a great project. So now we are applying that same thinking to Asina, which, which even though we're much smaller and much more early stage, unfortunately it would be great, would be great to have a to have ha, have a discovery already already or have a um, have a resource already, which we don't. But we have great shareholders and we are very active and we 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 um, you know we're hitting it. And that is important in exploration. That's that improves your chances of success tremendously. So so that um, crafting of a strong shareholder base is absolutely critical. And, and I think we have, we, we've gone a long way to achieve that in Asina. We, we, we're not resting on, on our laurels. We're certainly not relying on the Ross Beatty factor to see us through this. Ross, Ross wrote checks and, we, and you know, he's, um, he's, he's given us a lot of credibility and we're very thankful for that, but we cannot just rely on him. So we are forever uh, constantly uh, looking to strengthen our shareholder base further. Right. And I, I think there's a bunch of key key points of, you know, obviously a, a strong shareholder base, you know, strong hands is really important uh, at these early stage levels. And also the community outreach you mentioned, uh, I think that's critical in a country like Namibia to make sure that uh, there you have the government backing you and they're on they're on your side and, and community outreach is one of the keys to getting that done. So uh, from a geological perspective, uh, the uh, the Caribib Gold Project, uh, kind of the kind of the primary target of Osino. Uh, geologically, do you kind of see that? Uh, does everything kind of look really similar to what you're almost in the same exact same region as the uh, RX? Does everything kind of look more or less the same, and is the the target kind of the same? Yeah, in some respects, well, we think so, yes, but it, 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 uh, not everybody thought so um, previously. So why I say this is because, you know, we, we bring some fresh thinking, um, some holistic thinking to exploration in Namibia, and I'll explain that in a moment. So basically speaking, this, this, this belt that Ochikojo and Navajab, which is an ex-Anglo ex mine that's close to us, and our Caribou project is all in what is called the Damara belt, or some geologists call it the Pan-African belt. And it's, it's basically uh, uh, 
a, a belt that sits between the two cratons, the Congo craton and the, um, the Karoo craton. And just for those listeners of yours that don't know what this means, is basically it's a tectonic environment. So you have these um, you have these plates, you know, earth uh, mantle plates. Uh, you've got these plates that were rifting apart, and you had sediments filling in. Then you had recompression, and with that, under pressure and temperature, you had these mineralizing fluids that were formed that are gold bearing, and they would um, crystallize out or settle out in these large uh, uh, structures. So that's a that's a classic orogenic setting. Now Namibia or the geologists operating in Namibia in the last 10 or 20 years didn't traditionally quite see it like that. So so for example, Ochikoto, uh, you know, in the early days people said it looks like an IOCG or it could be this or it could be that. But increasingly um, there's agreement that these gold deposits are certainly structurally controlled. So what that means, I mean, just very high level in an orogenic setting, you've got three or four factors that count. Firstly, you need source rock, um, which in our case is sedimentary. We're in a large sedimentary basin, so we tick that box. Secondly, um, you need pathways for these mineralizing fluids that are described to flow. Um, and those pathways typically are large uh, structures or faults, which, which we have, which are in place. And then you need traps. You know, these mineralizing fluids need to be concentrated in a certain area. That trap could be a, um, you know, folding, bending, structural discontinuity typically. And I mean, this is sort of exploration 101. I'm not, um, we didn't invent this, we're just applying it. Um, and all of these factors apply where we are. So in fact, we are, I'm, I'm uh, very proud that we are bringing Richard Goldfarb uh, to Namibia. He's, he's the world's foremost expert on uh, orogenic gold deposits. Uh, he's worked a lot in China and other places, he's never been to Namibia before. And he's coming to Namibia in uh, in a couple of weeks' time, in two weeks' time actually. And jointly with B2 and the other operating gold mine in Namibia, basically the three operators on this belt, which is us, B2, and the uh, Navajo gold mine, we, um, we, we're bringing Richard Goldfarb out here to have a look at what's there to further back up our thesis. So um, yeah, that just gives you, gives you a flavor of high level um, kind of the terrain that we are in. And yes, specifically, you asked me whether there are similarities. Yes, there definitely are a lot of similarities. I mean, our, our thesis is that Ochikoto and the, the, um, the gold system at Karabakh, where we are active, and also at Navajab, is very likely to have been formed at exactly the same time. Um, I mean, we've got to prove this still. Uh, this has not been proven. But if that's the case, um, it, it kind of uh, gives substance to our claim and our thinking that another key factor in orogenic gold belts elsewhere in the world, is that these type of deposits generally don't occur in isolation. They occur in clusters. I mean, if you, if you, if you look at, for example, West Africa, the Senegal Mali Shiva, it's a classic similar setting. And you know, from one operation in Anglo, where I was 20 years ago, fast forward 20 years now, there are 10, 15 operating gold mines, so a lot has been discovered. But, but they've had 20 years of ongoing intensive exploration. Now back to Namibia, we have two, cold, two gold projects. We have a definite orogenic belt. A large part of um, Namibia is covered, which makes, makes exploration complicated. And I would say that is one of the key reasons why you haven't seen more discoveries in this region. And that's, that's really what Osino is setting out to change. So initially we wanted to consolidate a very significant grant position in these prospective regions. And, and we've largely achieved that. And secondly, now 
explore it and actually prove our thesis. So, so this time around with Osino, uh, tell us kind of what you'd prefer to do. Uh, would you rather, you know, prove up assets for another buyout, or is there a real desire internally at Osino to take the potential asset, uh, prove it up, and take it all the way to potentially a mining operation in the future? You know, there is dreaming and there's reality. So when I dream, I, 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 I would go for your second option. But the reality is that I don't think it is um, the right way to go. So, so let me be clear. So Osino, I'm not ashamed to say, we are setting Osino up to do good work, to prove up our thesis, but then we want to sell it. Um, and I think that's the model and it's a successful model because um, exploration companies or junior companies are typically good at raising money. They are typically quite entrepreneurial and they're efficient often in carrying out exploration. But because they are small, they don't have uh, the necessary skills um, to actually build mines. And, I, I, and, and, and that's why I'm a firm believer in uh, partnering with the big guys at the right time. And I think, again, at Oryx, Oryx Gold, it was a perfect example. We took that, we took that Ochikota project from about 1 million, 1.5 million ounces resource to about 2 million ounces resource and an advanced PEA. We started with early... Um, infrastructure construction, but at that point we sold the project to B2Gold and they built, they spent another $300 million building a gold mine and there's no doubt that we would have never been able to do what they've done. And so with Osino, we plan to do the same thing. We, we are much more early stage, so we've got to put a lot more meat on the bone, so to speak, before you know, a potential tie up with a, with a major could happen. But certainly we, we've got the scale and we are, well, we've got the land position scale and we are creating the geological scale to attract, um, you know, a major partner. And I mean, that doesn't have to be a, a, an outright sale straight away. That could also be a, a corporate, a technical group um, like B2 or there are many others um, that might share our geological vision and invest in us and help us do this exploration. But, but you know, so, so to put it bluntly and to be direct, definitely, we would look to sell before uh, construction of the mine. I think that would make most sense. Yeah, and I think you've got the timing. The timing this time might be uh, a pretty good setup because you've got uh, arguably a good a good sentiment going forward in a good potential bull cycle uh, just before us here. So it it should be a uh, an interesting uh, story to watch and, and watch it develop. So give us kind of the longer term strategy at Osino. Can you kind of give us uh, kind of over the next couple of years, the major milestone activities you're really looking for uh, from proving up an asset, moving to potentially a PEA and so forth. Can you kind of give us just a brief outline of a uh, timeline? Yeah, I can, but you know, four years is, is an eternity. So a lot can happen in four years, but certainly we have a plan. And our plan is to add value to our portfolio to uh, turn it around, because remember, we have a very large portfolio, and far too large, arguably, for a junior. But we certainly um, are aiming to make a discovery, an economic discovery, um, and ideally uh, drill it out and, and, and deliver a project, so to speak. That's the plan. Now, that doesn't happen overnight, and that doesn't happen, you know, it doesn't happen in an instant. It's an it's a exploration, it's systematic, uh, long-term process. So 
um, we are somewhat, we, we are quite far advanced towards that. We haven't made an economic discovery yet, but, but our most important flagship project is the Caribou Gold Trend, which we, we, we put out a press release a couple of days ago. It's, it's, it's grown into a very significant, very large gold system. But bear in mind that it has, it has been tested or sampled, but it has not been drilled. And that's the next step. So, so Osino, let's say year one was uh, two years ago was all about consolidation, positioning shareholders, building the company. Stage two was getting exploration going and proving or finding um, a large gold system. We did that with the uh, Caribou trend, which we've proven now to be mineralized and to be large scale um, in exploration terms, certainly very large scale. But the next step is to actually convert that into an economic discovery. So when I spoke earlier about these orogenic systems, and I said we need to find a trap, so we need, we need to find uh, one place or multiple places within that trend where the gold has concentrated sufficiently um, to be economic. And when, when when I say economic, I mean to me the yardstick is you know we we need to get um, something that has line of sight to million ounces plus. And, and I say that because right. to, me, to me, a respectable, I, I don't have to find Sunrise Dam or, um, you know, pick one of the whatever. I don't have to find the biggest coal deposit in the world. I'm, I, we are looking to find another Ochikoja or another Navachat, which are our local Namibian proxies. Both of those are multi-million ounces. Um, and both of those produce or were planned initially to produce in the region of 100,000 ounces a year. Ochikoja, in fact, does, is, is doing almost double of that. That's that's luck and it, it worked out well. But so that's where the million ounce number comes from because to deliver an open pit, uh, to to deliver a credible open pit life of mine, you need 10 years at 100,000 ounces. That's a million ounces. So that's what we're looking for. Um, you asked me about the timeline. So basically the timeline is this year, we need to raise more money to be in a, in a uh, uh, financially strong position and then we're going to kick off a very significant drill program. I mean, we are going to carry on with our with our programs regardless to identify further targets and to advance the targets that we have. But the the um, the juice, really, the flagship project is the Caribou trend, and that requires significant drilling now, which we look to do around about um, you know from the end of the first half, second half of this year, uh, depends on financing, um, and then you know that's again if I take the Archicordial Oryx Gold experience. It takes time to drill out a resource, so that could take another year, two years, if, if everything goes according to plan. Again, it's, it's it's very hard to project because it's 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 dependent on success. Yeah, absolutely. No, I I, I certainly agree that there'll be some some years years coming here, and uh, but it, it certainly will be uh, good to good to see how you guys establish that asset and build it up to uh, your threshold uh, requirements to uh, you know to call it economic. Um, so, hi, are there some key people that you like and respect in the business? Are there any companies or talented people that our audience should keep an eye on? Well, definitely uh, Clive Johnson from P2 Gold and Ross Beatty, they come to mind straight away. And I think for different reasons. I think Clive Johnson, because he's a doer and he's proven his mettle, but he's also a great guy. I mentioned that earlier. He's got his, he's got his heart in, in his right place and he, he's delivered exceptional performance in how he has built P2 Gold from nothing to what it is now. His share price, unfortunately, doesn't reflect that yet, but I don't think that's a reflection on him or on, on his company, but it's a reflection of sentiment in the industry. So therefore, Clive is definitely one to watch. And then, of course, there's Ross Beatty. 
Uh, I mean, his, his track record in history speaks for itself. But um, what, what, what I like or, or, or what stands out about Ross is just his personality. He's just, uh, he's, he's a real gentleman. He's, he's driven, he, um, but he does business in a, in, a, in a, you know, he does business with integrity. So, um, so those, those two guys definitely come to mind. I mean, there are a lot of other successful operators out there, but, um, you know, Clive and Ross to me are real leading lights. Agreed. Absolutely. So I'm sure we have a number of potential investors in our audience that are probably hearing of Ocino for the first time. What would you say to them and why should they consider a position in Ocino at this moment? So to me, three factors. Firstly, we know what we're doing. We're an experienced team and we have, we've delivered value before. Um, secondly, we're in a good country where the assets won't be stolen and we won't be a uh, victim of a civil war or the usual sort of upheavals that you, that you often experience in, in places in South America or Africa or even Asia. So we're in a quality jurisdiction with, with some very good assets. Um, and then thirdly, uh, we have excellent shareholders. So for, uh, for a sort of retail or smaller investor, um, you know, it's important to have that because that's life insurance. Because I would say that the biggest risk in investing in a junior company like ours is for that company to run out of money. Um, and, you know, with the shareholder base, 40% of the, of the shares in Ocino being held by the group I mentioned earlier, plus 10% uh, by the executive team, Alan Friedman and I, and we've got, you know, like I said, over a million dollars of our own money in here. We are really truly aligned with shareholders, and I think those are the those are the key factors that 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 I think a potential investor should should consider. So, how can potential interested investors learn more about you and Osino? So, I am very open. Well, certainly, I'm happy to, um, you know, I'll, I'll uh, mention my email address just now. Anyone can send me an email. I will respond to anyone that's interested. Um, we 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 have a website that's a little bit dated. We're busy updating it. There's some information there. Um, but if somebody is or if anyone is interested in investing in Osina, contact me, contact me directly. We also have an investor relations uh, manager, uh, Julia Becker. She's based in Vancouver, so she's on the same time zone as North America. So just contact us directly and and reach out. I think timing-wise, it's good because, as I said, we are contemplating a financing and we. We're looking at signing up one of the well-known brokers to help us with that. And, you know, so therefore for retail investors, when the financing happens, it's always a good time to invest because otherwise it's difficult for them to be accommodated. But at the same time, you know, of course, we would like people to buy shares in the market because Osino at this point is still very much unknown. Um, we trade somewhat, um, but we, we don't trade that much yet. And, you know, a bit of retail buying in the market will help us tremendously. Yes, absolutely. And I, I would just say that the, the website, osinoresources.com, that's O-S-I-N-O resources.com. Uh, and, of course, on there, uh, the majority of the contact information is listed on the website. And, and, hi, if you want to share your email, you can. Yeah, no problem. So, basically, on the website, I think there's info at... And that goes straight to Julia, and she forwards me every email. So it definitely goes straight to me. My own email address is, is my initial and my surname at osinoresources.com. So I'll just spell it. It's H-D-A-U-N, like Nelly, at osinoresources.com. But you can also find it on the website, and I respond to all emails I receive. 
Okay. Well, Haya, it's been a pleasure, and I appreciate you taking the time with us today. We look forward to having you back. Great, Andrew. Thank you very much for the opportunity to be on your show, and uh, thanks for your support.